Glory to God. This is Dr. Ruth. How are you doing today? I trust the Lord you are doing well. So I have a question for you. Have you been blessed by the teachings in this podcast? I trust the Lord that you have been blessed because the word of God never returns void. So would you do me a favor? Would you email us to let us know how these teachings are transforming your lives, what the Lord is doing with these teachings in your life? I would really, really like to hear from you. And it will be a blessing to read about your feedback or testimonies, okay? So here is our email address, info at drruthtanyi.org. Again, it is info I-N-F-O at drruthtanyi.org. I thank you in advance for sending me your feedback as I am really excited to, to hear what the Lord is doing and I look forward to reading your emails and I do read all of the emails. So when you send me an email, I will personally respond. So I really encourage you to email us and let us know how these teachings are transforming your lives. Glory to God. And also, please remember to share this with friends and family and check out our YouTube page, Facebook page, and Instagram. And we also have a bookstore where you can uh, check it out and find other Bible teaching materials right there. So I pray in the name of Jesus that your hearts are open to receive God's word today and you will be blessed. Here is the teaching. Okay, that brings us right into chapter 20 in the book of Deuteronomy here. What is the gist of this chapter? In this chapter, the the Lord would give strict guidelines to the second generation Israelites with regards to when they get into war with with another nation. So let us take a closer look at some verses here, beginning with verse 1 in Deuteronomy chapter 20. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. So reassuring. Okay, reassuring the second generation Israelites that these other nations that you are going to dispose may have, at least outwardly, giants. They may have a stronger army, but take heart. Relax. I am fighting the battle for you. Do you think that has changed today? No. It is the same principle. When we, ha- when we are attacked by the enemy... When we are facing insurmountable problems, when the mountain is too high in front of us, when our life is not making sense, we should take heart for God is fighting our battles. If we are a true believer, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, God himself is fighting our battles. We just really need to fight our battles on our knees in prayers, trusting God moment by moment, relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit, knowing that God is with us fighting that battle. We should take heart. We should not be afraid. God is with us always. All right. We come to Verse 2, when you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army 
verse 3. He shall say, Hear Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. Just like he is telling us today, do not be afraid of Satan. Satan has been defeated. He has been crushed. <laughs> no weapon formed against you shall prosper. God is for you. Verse 4, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Isn't that so true today? Today as New Testament believers, the battle has been won by Christ Jesus. We just have to stand up, use our mouth as a weapon to demolish the lies of the enemy. Wow. We have to just stand up, put on the armor of faith. And stand and trust God. Wow. Okay, verse 5. Verse 5 uh, or verses 5, really, all the way to, um, let's see, verse 15, really, are very interesting because the Lord is going to excuse certain people from getting into war. Let's take a closer look at some of the exclusion criteria here. Verse 5, <laughs> if somebody has just bought a brand new house, the Lord is like, okay, they can be excluded from getting into war. That's awesome. God wants us to enjoy our property. Okay, we come to verse 6. If anyone has a, a vineyard, a brand new vineyard, God said, don't go into war. Enjoy it. Again, God wants us to enjoy our blessings. Wow. Let me just read the, the rest of verse 6 there. I love it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else may enjoy it. Isn't this amazing? For all of you out there who don't want to enjoy your blessings. There are Christians today who think that we should just go around with our face pulled down. No, 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 no. If God has blessed us, we have to enjoy it. Wow. That's what this, these verses are teaching us. Enjoy your blessings. Verse 7. This is a powerful one too. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. God is like, have your honeymoon. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your husband. Don't have those men get into War, they may die. Let them enjoy their wives. That is awesome. Verse 8. Then the officials shall add, Is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home. <laughs> wow, I love this exclusion criteria. Okay. We come to verse 9. When the officials have finished speaking to the army, they shall appoint commanders over it. Look at verse 10. When you march up to attack a city, make his people a peace offering. We serve a God of peace. Wow. And Jesus comes in the New Testament and teaches us out of Matthew chapter 5 that we should settle disputes quickly with the adversary. So God is after peace. So if you are struggling with someone today, a believer or an unbeliever. Settle that matter peacefully, quickly. Do not rush to go file a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. 
Today, we live in a society, at least here in the U.S., where people want to sue people for every little nonsensical thing. As Christians, we serve a God of peace. We have to strive to have peace with the adversary first. Seek peace. Go talk to people. Pray about it. Ask for the Lord to open their heart. Seek a peaceful resolution. Don't be quick to sue people. So we see how the Lord is telling the Israelites, if you you get into war, offer peace first. If they, they agree to have peace with you, well, then make peace with them. And then you can subject them to work for you. They can become your, your workers to help you. That is what the rest of those verses are saying. And then in verse 12, if they refuse to make peace with you, then engage them in battle and lay siege to their city. All right. And in verse 13 says that when the Lord has delivered the cities to them, i.e. the cities that refuse to make peace with the Israelites, they have to uh, take the women. I am in verse 14 now. The women and the children and the, and the livestock and everything else in the city for themselves but all of the men, they have to put to the sword. Let's uh, take a look at that. In verse 15, this is how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. All right. However, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance do not leave alive anything that breathes. So we see how the Lord is specifying that in the cities or in the land of Canaan, where he is sending them to go possess. Remember, we talked about that he is using, i.e. the Lord is using the nation of Israel to impose his judgment onto these demon-possessed nations. So we see the Lord reiterating here to the second generation through Moses that when they get to the promised land, they should demolish everything that breathes there. Okay, verse 17. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, I am in verse 18, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods. Again, I had already explained that the Lord is going to use the Israelites to bring a final judgment upon this nation because the people who inhabited those nations were, were, were uh, demon-possessed. They weren't going to change. So God had to bring a final judgment, which was death, and he just used the nation of Israel. So I don't want you to walk away from this thinking, where why is God killing people? Where well, God is not killing people. God had given them the opportunity to change. They refused to change. God, God knows all things. He saw their heart. The only cure to this problem was a final judgment, which was death. Again, remember, the wages of sin is death. Okay? And, um, and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So these people weren't going to change, so God just had to kill them. Um, verse 19, the Lord just went on to say that when the Israelites get into the promised land and dispose all these nations, 
they should they should not destroy the trees by putting an axe to them. That is out of verse 19 there. Because you can eat their fruit, do not cut them down. Are the trees people that you should besiege them? <laughs> That's funny. So he is just teaching them wisdom, how they have to keep the uh, trees there because the trees can, can grow fruits that they could eat. Uh, verse 20, however, you may cut down trees that you know are not fruit trees and use them to build uh, to build siege works until the city at war with you falls. Again, giving them details, instruction, what to do after they overcome the cities that he is sending them to go possess. That brings us to the end of chapter 20 and we get right into chapter 21 which is very interesting because here the Lord would give instructions how to atone for the sin or to atone for an unsolved murder that would take place among the Israelites again the Lord anticipating an event whereby if somebody is found dead and no one is coming forward to to serve as a witness or witnesses to the unsolved murder, how atonement had to take place in the camp. So that is the gist of this uh, chapter. So let us get into verse 1 out of Deuteronomy chapter 21. If someone is found slain, Lying in a field in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known who the killer was, your elders and judges shall go out and measure the distance from the body to the neighboring towns. Verse 3, Then the elders of the town nearest the body shall take a heifer that has, that has never been walked and has never worn a yoke and lead it down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted and where there is a flowing stream. There in the valley, they are to break the heifer's neck. Let's pause here. Remember we talked about this same principle of a red heifer? Okay, in the book of Numbers? Yes, that was out of Numbers chapter 19, where a red heifer was used to atone for sins and to maintain cleanliness in the camp. So we see a similar thing here in Deuteronomy chapter 21, where the Lord would use a heifer, again, a blameless heifer, which is like an animal that has never been used and has never been walked on as the perfect uh, animal to atone for this sin. All of this really symbolizing the blameless Son of God, a foreshadow of Christ Jesus, blameless, God's sacrificial lamp that was atoned for the sins of the world. So we see here how a perfect heifer would be killed. And in verse 5, we are told how the priest shall step forward for the Lord. Obviously, the priests were the ones who administer God's law that a priest would use that heifer to atone for that sin. And then in verse 6, the elders of the town nearest the body shall wash their hands over the heifers whose neck was broken, 
Okay, so we see the elders washing their hands over the blameless, unused animal, i.e. the heifer. And we see the priests also stepping forward along with the elders to carry out the sacrifice to atone for that sins. And we are told there towards the end of chapter 7, once the hands of the elders have been washed, in verse 7, it reads, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it. So by them washing their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken, they are attesting that they are innocent. Okay? And in verse 8, Accept this atonement for your people, Israel, whom you have redeemed. Lord, and do not hold your people guilty of the blood of an innocent person. So Moses is giving the second generation instructions how to deal with an unsolved murder that no one comes forward as a witness. They have to take this blameless heifer, break his neck. The priest has to bring that forward and the elders have to wash their hands and announce that they are innocent. And once they do this, that innocent blood that was shed, i.e. that person who was killed, i.e. considered innocent blood, would be atoned for and that would appease the Lord. That is what that is saying there towards the end of uh, verse 8. It says, then the bloodshed will be atoned for and you will have purged from yourself the guilt of shedding innocent blood since you have done what is right in the eyes of the Lord. This is interesting because God knows all things. God is omniscient. Don't you think the Lord knew who would have committed this murder? Of course. But the Lord had already set a precedent that two or three witnesses were required to come forward. So if no witnesses came forward and an innocent body or somebody is killed in the camp and no witnesses came forward, God already knew who did that. But if, if no one saw him, if he did that, thinking that nobody saw it physically, God saw it. But in God's mercy, God was making provision for how that innocent blood had to be atoned for. That way he would have reconciliation with them. That way he could have fellowship with them again. You see, this is all highlighting God's mercy. God knew the person who would have committed this murder. But God wasn't going to just point the person out. God was going to just allow his mercy. His mercy means withholding punishment or judgment when it is deserving because of his love and because of his grace. God with, would withhold punishment, atone for the sins, and let's move on. Okay, again, this is no excuse. God is not condoning lies, but this is just a mercy of God withholding judgment, okay? giving the person the opportunity to repent. That is what we see here, the mercy of God. We come to verse 10, and verses 10 all the way to verse 14, we'll talk about marrying a captive woman, i.e. a woman whom the Israelites may capture 
during war, how they were to treat that woman. Remember we talked about earlier how the Lord told them, if they come in contact with an enemy, they should attempt to make peace. If the enemy or if the other nation refuses to make peace with them, they should engage in war and they should take their livestock, the women, for themselves. So now what are they going to do with these women if they were to capture them during the war? So these verses here, verses 10 through 14, will give them instructions how they have to deal with these women. Okay, verse 10, when you go to war against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands and you take captives, verse 11, if you notice among the captives a beautiful woman and are attracted to her, you may take her as your wife. Okay, here are the instructions now. Verse 12, they are to bring the woman into their home and, and shave her head and trim her nails. That is a sign of letting go of the woman's past. And in verse 13, they had to take off her old clothing, okay? And then she has to wear something new. All of this would symbolize the woman letting go of her past. And after about a full month, the man may actually be intimate with her, i.e., marry her and have sex with her, allowing the woman at least a month to purify herself to mourn for her previous husband from her previous country. That is that is great. And then after a month, the Israelite men may marry this woman. Look at verse 14. If you are not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave since you have this honored her. So important. The Lord is like, if you have intercourse with her after you've married her, if you don't like her, don't just treat her like a slave as a nobody. Have respect for her. Let her go wherever she wants to go because you have dishonored or defiled her by having sexual intercourse with her. And you have to remember, uh, back in the culture, still relevant today among the Israelites and even among Bible-believing Christians. Today, maintaining your virginity is priceless. It's priceless, okay? That, that shows your purity and your love for the Lord and how you are glorifying the Lord with your body. So if the Israelite men were to have sex with this woman, they've already defiled her. So they cannot just treat her as a slave. They have to let the woman go, give her the freedom to go wherever she wants. Again, showing respect for, for human life and respect for the woman. Okay, we come to verse 15. Verses 15 all the way to verse 17. Also, a, pow a powerful principle here, which is so applicable today. A gist of this is the Lord is going to to give instructions that would preserve the right of the firstborn in the event that a man has two wives, okay, and then does not love the first wife and loves the second wife instead. However, the man has the first son with the first wife who is unloved. The Lord is going to give instructions how that son from that first wife who is unloved is the one who will inherit the property of the man, even though the man does not love his mother. Did you get that? So applicable today. Again, this is not saying 
that the Lord condones or approves, uh, what you may call it, marriage of multiple wives or, um, oh, the word is polygamy. <laughs> you see, I could not even remember it. So this is not to say that the Lord condones polygamy. No, this was something we talked about in the book of Genesis. Human beings just started doing this and the Lord is just helping to give them guidelines and instructions how they should treat each other fairly. So let's take a look at these verses. Verse 15, if a man has two wives and he loves one but not the other and both bear him sons, but the firstborn is the son of the wife he does not love, verse 16, when he wills his property to his sons, he must not give the rights of the firstborn to the son of the wife he loves in preference to his actual firstborn. This is just what I just explained. And verse 17 just went on to say that he must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife. Okay, you can read the rest of those verses. That is really self-explanatory what I just explained. Again, we see the Lord really highlighting his respect for the firstborn to inherit the rights of his father, whether or not his mother was loved. These things happen every day in places across the world. So practical today. We come to verse 18. Verses 18 all the way to verse 21 will give instructions about a rebellious child. The Lord would give instructions when a child dishonor or disrespect the parents, how that child has to be killed, murdered. Again, this is no excuse. This is not fostering. This is not approving child abuse or killing of children. This is not what this is saying. This is not saying that parents have to physically abuse their children. No, this is not advocating child abuse. No, this is not doing that. You have to remember, I talked about this earlier. These were laws that the Lord gave Moses and Christ Jesus has fulfilled all of these laws, but the principles are still applicable because, like I said earlier, research has shown us that children who have no just no regard for their parents, children who grow up disrespecting their parents, end up as adults, atheists, disrespecting the laws of God, disliking the laws of God. They become a headache to society. They become criminals. They become just vagabonds. So there is evidence, historical evidence, that when children are not raised in a home where they are taught respect for authority, where they are taught respect for the laws of God, there is a risk that these children can, can become adults who become atheists, disre disrespect of the laws of the land and God's laws, and it would raise so much havoc. So we see here the Lord giving instructions that when children are outrightly disrespectful of their parents, these children should be killed. Again, God brought a final judgment because God knew their hearts that they weren't going to change. So God had to just punish them through death. So that is what we are seeing here. But as New Testament believers, we do not do that because Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of the Old Testament laws. Today, we just um, hmm, we pray for them. We love them. We just trust that God will speak to their hearts and that they will change themselves. Because if they don't, they're going to end up in 
horrible situations as adults. Okay, so getting here to verse 18, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, Verse 19, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the town. Verse 20, they shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He, he is a glutton and a drunkard. Verse 21, talks about how then the men of that town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. I have already explained the principle there. We come to verse 21, all the way to the end of this chapter. Talked about other various laws. Verse 21, if someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed to a pole, verse 23, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it. That same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse, you must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Wow. This is such a powerful verse. Let's move forward to the New Testament. The book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 13, teaches us that Jesus was hung on a pole. Boy. Jesus has took upon all of our curses. Jesus has took upon all of our generational curses. He took all of that on his sinless body, on that pole, because in, in the Jewish culture, if somebody's hung on a pole, it's a curse. So all of our curses were placed on the sinless body of Jesus on that cross when he was hung there. So we are redeemed. So we are freed from all curses. We are redeemed from all generational curses because Jesus took upon our curses on his body on that pole when he was hung on the cross. Do you see that? Do you see why Galatians 3.13 ties into Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 22 to 23 here because according to the Jewish law when you are hung on a pole is a curse and Jesus was hung on that tree on that pole so our curses was on his sinless body so we have been redeemed because he conquered death so we have been redeemed because he is raised from the dead so we have life glory to God wow please I hope you received that I am just so excited because you can see what Jesus Christ did for you. We are no longer under a curse because we are redeemed from the curse of the law because Jesus Christ hung on a pole. Thank you, Lord. That brings us to the end of chapter uh, 21. And also one thing I want to say here real quick before we get into the principles is really also another law here that makes sense or that explains why in the Jewish culture, even till today, when a person dies, they bury them within 24 hours. It says right here. Okay. I just wanted to highlight that to you. So we are now to the end of chapter 21. So what are the major principles we have learned from 
chapters 19, 20, and 21. Principle number one, God's justice. We talked about that when I talked about the cities of refuge. Okay, God also requiring multiple witnesses before somebody is accused. We talked about that. All those principles are highlighting God's justice, God's fairness. Okay, also with regards to the cities of refuge, God's assurance and protection for the innocent individuals. We saw God's love. Okay, even he had to atone for unsolved murder because of his mercy and his grace. I talked about that. So what is the major application here? Really, I cannot say this enough. I talked about the cities of refuge being a type of protection that we, found, we find in Christ as New Testament believers. When we are innocent or even when we are suffering, we run to Christ as our refuge. I talked about how the Lord, God would use the testimony of Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit in the world, and nature. Again, nature, meaning God's creation to judge the unbelievers. So today, the major application is Jesus Christ, who is always the application, but I want to talk about Jesus Christ. Like we learned, Jesus Christ died on that cross. He took upon all of our curses on his sinless body. He died in your place. He died to give you life. Do you know Jesus Christ today? Have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? Because God will judge you based on the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and your conscience and nature. Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? He died for you, for you, for your personal sin. Jesus Christ was God before he became man. Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Jesus Christ revealed the nature of God to us. Jesus Christ loved his love for you was evident on the cross. Jesus Christ himself has told us that he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. No one can see God the Father except coming through Jesus Christ. We are told in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is no other name given unto mankind that salvation must come through. It can only come through the person, Jesus Christ. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is the only human being in the history of the world who lived a sinless, perfect life, fulfilled all of God's laws, like we are going over, something that no human being has ever and will ever do. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He fulfilled all of these laws, all of the messianic prophecies, he was killed. God the Father raised him from the dead. He is alive today. He, he is alive. Jesus Christ is the only way because he is the only one who fulfilled God's laws.
perfectly. No other human being can and will ever do this. There is no other way to the true living God apart from Jesus Christ. All other so-called self-religious leaders are counterfeits. They cannot give you life except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally. No matter where you are today in life, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, Jesus Christ is right now ready to forgive you if you are ready to ask him into your life. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You just have to receive it because he has already done it. Just receive his forgiveness. Receive his love. Just ask him into your heart if you are genuine. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, in all of the claims of Jesus Christ as God, as the way, the truth, and the life, if you believe in your heart that he died and he was raised from the dead on the third day and he is alive today, if you genuinely believe that in your heart and you confess that with your mouth and you ask Jesus into your life, he will accept. Don't worry about what will happen. Accept by faith and just trust God to do the rest. Your job is to respond to the invitation and trust God. Are you ready? If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your life, I want to give you the opportunity right now. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Today is the day of salvation. So if you are ready, if you are home, I want to ask you to simply get on your knees if you are able to, or if you are not able to get on your knees, just you can just elevate your hands towards the heavens just as a, as a way to say thank you and as a position of humility. Or if you are driving, just keep driving with your eyes open. Just say this simple prayer. Again, it is not the prayer that would save you. It is believing in your heart and you would be confessing out of your mouth what you believe. Just simply say, Dear God, I acknowledge I am a sinner. Forgive me for all of my sins, knowingly and unknowingly. Today, I receive my forgiveness of sins. I believe in my heart Jesus Christ was God, is God, and he died on that cross for my personal sins. And I am confessing today with my mouth that I believe you, God, raised him from the dead on the third day. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life right now and change me. By faith, I believe Jesus Christ has accepted me. By faith, I declare I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I denounce all other false gods. Thank you for the God. I believe I am a true follower of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer genuinely, based on the authority of the word of God, I declare you a true Christian. And God himself, in the form of his Holy Spirit, is indwelling you right now. 
and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And no one will ever snatch you from the hands of God. Welcome into God's kingdom. Welcome into the kingdom of light. Moving forward, look for a Bible-believing church in your area. Start attending church there. Find a church that uses the Bible as their authority in all of their teachings. A church that Jesus Christ is elevated, that Jesus Christ is exalted. A church where the power of the Holy Spirit is evident there. Find a church like that. Plug yourself into ministry there. Fellowship with other believers and trust God with your life. And I promise you, God will take you places you would never imagine. Your life will be protected, blessed, and you are a child of God. Contact us if you would like so we can send you more resources to help you grow in your journey as a Christian. You can visit us at our website, www.drruthtanyi.org. Again, that was www.drruthtanyi.org. Let us know how we could help you grow as a Christian. Father God, I pray for all the listeners today. I pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit today. Especially if you are a new believer, if you just said that prayer, Father God, fill them with your Holy Spirit so they can be strengthened to live daily as a Christian. Lord, I believe by faith your spirit goes before all the listeners today to guide them, to direct them, and to comfort them, and to protect them. By faith, in Jesus' name, I believe this prayer is answered. And everybody says, Amen. Friend, as some of you already know, this program is financially supported 100% by love gifts from listeners like yourself. So please, would you help us with a donation so that we can produce more programs and bless others? We need your financial support. To make a one-time donation, visit our website, drruthtanyi.org. That's D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G. Look for the donation button and donate right there. It is a very secure, simple, and easy process. Or, for more of an impact, would you prayerfully consider becoming a Christ-centered monthly partner with us? While on our website, you will find all of the information about becoming a Christ-centered partner. As a monthly partner, your regular prayers and financial support will enable us to produce more Bible teachings in order to reach more people and transform their lives with God's Word. For those of you who prefer regular email, you can send your donation to us. Here's the address. Dr. Ruth Tiny Ministries, P.O. Box 1806, Loma Linda, California, 92354. You can also email us with your questions about becoming a partner. Here's the email address. Info at drruthtanyi.org. That's I-N-F-O at D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I 
www.ncpodcast.org. Or you can always call us at 909-383-7978. Dr. Ruth Tanya Ministries is a federal government-approved 501c corporation, which means that all of your donations are 100% tax-deductible, as allowed by the law. We thank you in advance for your kind donation and prayers. We pray for God's love and presence to anchor your soul today in Christ Jesus. I am Chris Oram. Stay blessed and goodbye for now.